do that as the first step instead yeah. of like worrying about it. Yeah, I, I think that's a natural thing. I think technology, especially because with technology, you can't see things going on. Like there's no analog to it. You can't see like the loading or anything. So you instantly think, oh no, the worst has happened. And then, well, that's, that's my yeah. problem is I um, feel like it's a magical force that's against me. <laughs> so then that's how I react. <laughs> Technology's <laughs> <my>, vindictive. <laughs> that's my lifelong struggle is like, um, you know, calm down, stay calm. But well, anyway. We'll, Where do we we'll, want to start? We'll figure that out. All right. Well, we'll welcome to the show. We'll, we'll start here. Welcome to the Yelling at Concrete Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, we'll start with the simplest question. Uh, who are you? Name, Kristen Stone. Um, I am 40 years old, which sounds old feels kind of old but yet it it kind of um I'm liking it I like I like who I am most of all right now so I'm thinking that maybe in another couple years I'll like me even more and so on and so on um because you get to know yourself and you get to drop pieces of baggage that you don't like anymore and um you see things a little more clearly um I've always been kind of a loner so which I, I think is just an artist thing. I think it's like a introvert, um, someone that likes to spend time with their thoughts, trying to figure stuff out, trying to just watch the world and people watch. And I like thinking, I like being with my thoughts. It, yeah. I find it, um, you know, rejuvenating and I like people too, but, um, being around other human beings is draining. And I, I don't know if it's, I know some of us are just wired like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can put it all on like being an empath, but it's just what it is. So I know some people like to and want to be alone and some people don't. And those people often find each other, <laughs> uh, which is nice. Yeah. Um, you know, artist. So, um, I happen to be a mom too. um, married. I think on paper, I sound pretty, pretty vanilla. You pretty, um, like if you wrote that down and submit it, it's a pretty standard. Yeah. Sound. Like, yeah. But, um, but the other but side, I enjoy my own weirdness. <laughs> and now that I'm losing some of my filters as I get older, mm-hmm. I like sharing that and just finding other weirdos. It's nice to not have to feel like you have to appeal to everyone like you do when you're younger. Mm. You know, you want to be appealing. You want people to like you and choose you. And now it's like, no, that's that's just so much energy. It takes so much energy. I just can't. Yeah. It definitely, it, I find it that it definitely drops away every year. Like there's a, there's a level of it within you 
And then every year you kind of abandon that part of baggage of just trying to get other people's acceptance or trying to get maybe even just like recognition of like, yeah. this, this is who you are. No, maybe not, you know, playing up to, I want to be this person, but yeah, just recognition for who you are. And then as you get older, you say, no. It feels good though, doesn't it? Because yeah. um, when you're young, I think that you feel like I'm the only one. This is such a wild ride. No one understands me. And then as you get older and you have conversations, you realize Oh, the, you know, most of the stuff I experienced is fairly standard, you know, um, yeah. insecurity. Um, I specifically remember when I was a young person, just being so confused. I had like no bearings mm. and um, you're just kind of floundering with no... Yeah way to express yourself and I've always been an artist so I feel like I've always kind of had an outlet but um arts helped me a lot to express myself but when I was younger like I wouldn't I still couldn't have even been able to like I can now like I'm not sure if that makes sense even though I've always loved art enjoyed art yeah naturally just made art it means more to me now because um because I do know myself better and I can um share something and be like well let's see who this resonates with and if it's not for you that's okay yeah it's more like you can kind of um what's the word like fully articulate what you're going through and whereas like is it, I always think like kind of younger art is often more volatile because like you say they're floundering they don't really know what's going on inside them outside them and so when they produce work and they produce artwork and when we produced our work when we were younger it was always very in your face very this is this this is as raw as i can get it and then as you get older you kind of realize that like you say those experiences are kind of more universal and you're able to boil that down and, and make something you know more patient i guess maybe is the word <laughs> Yeah, or or just better able to make something that means something to you. And Mm. if you feel like excited about it or enlivened by it, that's what matters. And you're always there's always, I think, especially now that you can share stuff on Instagram and find Mm. you can find your people. um, I think no matter what the art is, you're always going to be able to find your people. And that feels really good for an artist. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I mean, we should probably inform people listening to this. What is it that you make, Chris? Um, Right now, well, I like to dabble with Mm -hmm. lots of different things. But right now, I've been, um, for the last couple of years, I've been using textiles, um, hand-stitching, making figures that um well for a long time I didn't really realize what I was doing and then maybe a couple years ago I realized that I was doing something what I was doing was I was making figures that I felt were um ugly right um, made out of junk or, you know, cast off materials, overlooked things. 
because then when they got some love, when they received some love and then someone even goes as far as to pay money and adopt Mm -hmm. one of them, um, I got this like, my empath heart just felt (laughs) like everyone, you know, there's a home for everyone. I can't in real life, I can't find a home for everyone. I can't heal everyone. I can't um, do the things I want to do. So I was doing it with like fabric and with art. And that was really fun to realize. Like that's like some psychology there that I was playing out something before I really knew, realized what I was doing yeah i mean i i obviously found your work through your instagram through your, uh, strange book styles and it, what struck me was the the amount of variation you had in the things you were creating you you had kind of hadn't started making one one creation one style and then that was what you were doing you know and, and that because that, that happens quite a lot with artists so they find their one niche and then they produce that over and over again whereas you you seem to experiment with every single figure which to me suggested it was more kind of like you say feeling led more depending on what you have available more conceptual than you know just producing dolls for the sake of producing dolls kind of yeah and it was kind of a sore spot for a while because when I started um I think what happened was I got onto Instagram and I was doing like pictures of trees like you know when Instagram first happened and everyone's hey just your food, you know, you know? pictures of our food <laughs> yeah. and our in the you, you know, I'm going for a walk and here's a picture of the sunset or whatever. And then I found, I started to find artists and I found some, these dolls that were um, really pretty and really precise. Mm-hmm. And I saw that there was a lot of engagement and there was a lot of excitement and she would sell out every time she would drop a batch of these dolls. And I thought, well, I make things, maybe I can do that. Like mm-hmm. that's, maybe I could do that. And what if I got, what if my dolls got popular? That's, you know, exciting. Um, But then I quickly realized that I can't, I can't do pretty. Mm -hmm. I can't do, um, you know, like how seamstresses and um, they're, they're after a, a pattern and a line and a, a a level of clean, um, like, yeah, a level yeah. of production that is appealing for, for in its own rights, you know, but um, as soon as I tried to do that, it like, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's made me angry, like I couldn't do it. So then I was kind of, you know, deflated, like, well, what, what should I do then? Yeah. And, um, you know, feeling jealous that other artists have a style. Right. Um. And eventually I just thought, well, I guess it's not a rule. No one's keeping me from creating just because I don't have a style. That's just, that's just me in my own head and kind of trying to follow a program, you know? So. Yeah, definitely. I can definitely relate to, especially when you go online and you kind of see something like, I like following uh, like art toys, like custom made you know resin pod or whatever they are toys and I, i've looked at those a few times and thought oh yeah i mean i've, I've used sculpey before I, I i can make something like that and then my brain suddenly goes okay that's great but you don't care enough about the chemistry and anything like that to actually produce any of that you can produce the original model 
but you'd never reproduce it. <laughs> and just pure frustration. And that kills art, I think. Same. Yes, absolutely the same. Anything that is, um, you know, you have to mix it up just so, and you have to let it cure, and you have to, mm. um, I guess, like, technical precision stuff it just kills it and i just don't i just don't want to i want to make a mess i want it to be like uneven i want it if it's stained all better you know if it's um i like i like the you know i like making things that look like they're old um Mm. forgotten somebody dug it up out of a box of crap from a from an antique shop i like Um, that's what i like about your work is it it Obviously, you're using found objects to make them, like you're using things, but they themselves look found. Like you say, it's it's the kind of thing you you think to find in like a, a flea market in someone's attic after they passed away, and you go in and you're like, oh, there's a box. What's in this box? And like, oh, there's a <laughs> there's a doll. <laughs> um, and, and it's weird. And somebody made this and why would they make, why would they make this? It's off-putting. It's weird. It looks like it's got a tooth. Whose tooth is it? I like the questions. I like, um, if I'm looking at something and I have a lot of questions to me, that's exciting and engaging. And, you know, so really pretty art is nice. You might want to hang it on your wall and it's got its place. Everybody Mm -hmm. likes pretty art, but um, I think it's more, it's more fun for me to have like um, feelings, even if they're not good feelings. Um, you know, it, there's certain textures that um, that I want to stare at for a little while and then I want to claw apart with my fingers. And so when people make like uh, castings of, um, I think it's like a poppy pod. Right. I love hate that like... Um, the textures with a lot of holes in it. I, oh, okay. I, I yeah. like, I like hating them. So I, that's what I'm looking for. Right. Like, like more than just one emotion. <laughs> like I want some, you know, I want some layers. You know, some diversity to the work which you're engaging with. And yeah. 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 I, th- I think, I think like that gets lost by a lot, especially online. because everything's fleeting you know everything you create ends up being slightly fleeting and you know getting people to re-engage with old work is quite hard um so having something which does make you stop and then think oh don't don't know if i like that or i don't know if i hate that but it's there (laughs) i think that's important yeah yeah i even like being offended um by art because then i I'm noticing an emotion that I'm having. I'm like, well, that feels offensive. Is it offensive because it kind of um, is too vulgar? Is it offensive because it seems to um, tear down some belief that I have? You know, at least it it gets me feeling something and thinking and, and engaging. And I totally understand why. Um, <clears throat> I don't know how to say this nicely. Um a lot of folks, mm-hmm. maybe not, maybe they aren't artistic. Maybe they don't, maybe they're not interested much in art. I can understand why they, some people wouldn't be, wouldn't appreciate 
there's a lot out there. There's a lot of art out there that would be, yeah. uh, you know, because I have a lot of friends and family that maybe I've we've looked at the same art at the same time before and they kind of just blow it off. Like, why would anyone do that? Or that's ugly or whatever. And um, that's okay. okay, But I, I like, but I like thinking and I like feeling. I always find this interesting when you speak to, to people like that, who, especially, I mean, the same, you know, friends and family where you, you see something and you think, I love that. That's amazing it's it's connecting with me and then they look at it and like you say they go how's that art why would someone do that and I always find it's interesting speaking to them and finding out what they connect with because yeah. it's the same feeling of, you know they'll show you something and I'm looking at it going I get nothing from this like this piece of work does nothing for me and it it makes me jealous in some ways because I love art so much and because I like to engage with so much kind of media and so much content that when I see stuff which doesn't do anything and I know someone's put time and effort into it, I'm like, I, you know, I feel like I'm missing out. <laughs> yeah, because it's what it's about what resonates with you, right? So, um, <clears throat> but I feel like I feel that way about beliefs too. Mm. You know, everyone we all have our different beliefs, and I think people believe things because that's what resonates most deeply with them. I know I believe what I want to be true or what I feel is true or what, you know, just whatever is down here in your heart, whatever resonates the most deeply, that's what you believe. So, um, yeah, it would at least be interesting to, you know, ask, well, why does that resonate with you? Someone's like, oh, I love, I love that painting. Mm. Um, because then you really have to stop and think, well, I don't know. I think maybe it's uh, the materials that were used and I've never seen. And I like that it's kind of irreverent and I like, um, you know, because it is hard to put your finger on it sometimes. There's like, a, oh, I like that. or Oh, I don't like that. <clears throat> yeah. But I, it's fun to dig around. I always think of the um, oh, what is it? The big canvas paintings, which are single color, like one color, and they take up a whole wall. Whenever I kind of have this discussion with anybody, I always think of those paintings because there was a field trip I went on when I was much much smaller, um, and my mum went with me on this trip. She was chaperoning the class and and kind of thing, and we stepped into this room at Tate Modern in London, and there was these huge paintings on the wall. And I loved it. I, I I stepped in and I was stood there for about 10 minutes just looking at this single blue painting. And my mom walked in and then walked directly back out. And she, she said to me, it's like, I don't get it. And, I, you know, I don't understand that. I don't get it. I don't like it. And there was this point I was just like, yeah, this is, there's a, there's a real difference of how someone engages. And I, I guess that's a question for artists is whether you're making work for yourself to kind of get the feeling that you want from art yourself or whether you try to make out which connects with the most amount of people wow i i kind of feel like you can only make art for yourself to express whatever you have going on inside Mm -hmm. and you know it's going to resonate with some other people because there's billions of other people in the world so it's gotta i mean i've seen a lot of art (laughs) 
<laughs> and some of it I don't like, but I know, I know it resonates and it has some fans. So I, mm -hmm. I like that. Um, so the blue painting, was it flat, solid color or was it, um, I, I believe kind of variegated? I, well, I mean, this is the catch 22 as well. I'm colorblind. Oh, <laughs> so when I see, I see, I see blue, but I, I don't really see variations of blue. If there's a dominant blue, I only see one type of blue at the time because my eyes can't recognize the greens and stuff, which would separate it from other things. I think I've got the feeling it's by Rothko. I'm just going to Google it. Um, yeah, they're the Rothko paintings. So it would be, it would have been blue, but it would have been slightly gradated in different areas because it's just all one paint. Right. Kind of answer, like, the, like the paint gets thinned around the edges or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, in that so way, there really is something to stare at. If you're looking in the the gradations for maybe some kind of, you know, how mm. your mind just fills in images that aren't really there. Yeah, <clears throat> definitely. I, I mean, I love I love those paintings just because they do separate people because they are one which does resonate with some people. Some people look at them and go, that's a great painting. And then other people go, why would you just paint one color on a canvas? That's, you know, you could have painted a scene. You know, there's talent in that. I don't know, no, there's talent in this because this stopped you. And this, you know, even, even though you had a negative reaction, like you were saying earlier, trying to be, you know, offended by something because that's an interesting feeling and engaging with that feeling. That's why I love those ones at least. Because, yeah. Cuts people <laughs> one way or another. I wonder, did, with your work, then, do you? I mean, presumably, you get a fair mix of feedback. Um, I'll say, I pretty much I don't get any. Uh, I don't get very much negative feedback. I feel like if if somebody doesn't like it, they probably just scroll on by, which is fine with me. Yeah. Um, I did one of, I did a, a little baby that was uh, inspired by a certain former president. Mm -hmm. And um, that one did get a hate comment and I kind of, I kind of chuckled at it. And um, so it didn't really hurt my feelings, but usually... I think the only people who are finding my stuff are kind of like art minded anyway. Mm -hmm. I don't think people are accidentally finding my weird art because the algorithms, you know, track us down and um, feed us things. So, and I've kind of, you know, I've kind of decided when you make art, it's a nice thought that like, you'd put it out there and you'd get all of this praise and this wonderful feedback and everyone would love it. I think that's kind of a nice like dream, but um, I also know me and I know that I'm a really sensitive baby and I don't handle criticism very well unless it was given, you know, genuinely. And it was like artistic criticism. Um, I feel like, yeah, I feel like I could receive that because, you know, that would be helpful. But um, a lot of times that's not what's going on on the internet. It's just, um, 
everybody's hateful and they're looking for someone to, to dump their emotions on. And, um, so anyway, I haven't gotten really yeah much hate or even really bad comments. Sometimes it'll kind of be, sometimes it'll be like, what the heck is this? And that kind of, I like that comment. I would like, I would like people to feel like that about things that I make. Yeah. I love it when someone tags somebody else yeah. in, in your work. <laughs> like, it's just like instantly just like they either have a friend who's going to love this or they, their friend's going to have exactly the same reaction they had. Is this a good tag or a bad tag? <laughs> either way, you know, welcome to the comments. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious then, what, what, what work do you connect with, which isn't your work? Oh, boy. Um really it's anything that makes me feel connected it's really yeah like (laughs) there's a lot of different ones like for instance I actually googled her name so that I would remember okay um so here's an example so somehow I ran across the work of Julie Green at some point and she makes plates you know like the um traditional it's like a white plate and then it's a blue ink and I can't can't remember if it's called like anyway it's this really traditional way of making plates right Um, oh is it like like the Japanese ones yeah yeah okay yeah so she paints on each one of these plates the last meal of a death row prisoner and specifically the one i'm thinking of is a birthday cake somebody requested a birthday cake because he had never received a birthday cake wow and i saw that piece and i was like that absolutely crushed my soul my first thought was well no wonder he ended up in prison like (laughs) to have never received a birthday cake like that says something yeah yeah that uh, tells you way more than you could ever know from speaking to them like yeah and i don't love having my heart broken but it's anything that really humanizes somebody else that really helps you feel connected um that helps you understand that helps you feel like you're being understood all of that psychology stuff, you know, Mm. um, you're not alone in your pain. You're not alone in your struggles, all that kind of stuff. Um, there's also, I never know if I'm saying his name, right. Uh, I think it's like Michelle Najjar. He's gotta be like in his eighties now. So he, um, makes fabric figures they're pretty I guess you would say grotesque like they look um in fact he buries some of them in the in the ground like leaves them there so they kind of get like caked with dirt and maybe even like um degraded a little bit Mm. and his work I think he said was a lot inspired by um because he's Jewish and he was born, I think, right after World War II. Right. So he didn't 
firsthand remember images, you know, but he, when he was a boy and he learned about the things that had happened specifically to his family members and his people, it really did something to his, you know, psychology. So he was, I think, sort of trying to, um, illustrate the suffering and the pain and the death. Um, and I think he picked textiles because his dad was a tailor. I don't know if I already said that. So the materials were already kind of present in his life. So he probably had access to like, he can play around with the scraps and it felt familiar and stuff. So, um, but I, the first time I saw any of his figures, like, you know, Mm -hmm. there's certain artists where they can do no wrong. Like everything they make, you're like, I love it. I love it. I love it. (laughs) There are some artists that I I love every single one. So I don't know if I'm just a blind fan or Mm -hmm. just every single one. So he's someone that I love every single one. I find it interesting how many artists use use materials and kind of practices within their work and they they don't recognize that it's from their past like you're kind of saying using like fabric and a tailor um I have conversations with people who um were from my kind of my hometown in my hometowns um there's a steel works so it's lots of concrete lots of steel lots of industrial process and I met more than one who has been doing their work and I've gone oh so you know you're creating these you know concrete objects these abstracts these things you've got lots of industrial material in your paintings surely this is somewhat inspired by you know where you come from and they've gone actually no (laughs) um (laughs) and I, i find that fascinating i find it you know we have these little subtle moments which you don't realize are impacting your work and then all of a sudden you're like oh i've just made an industrial object and then somebody says it and you're like Oh, I guess sometimes, you know, it's not that deep material wise. It's like, Mm. oh yeah, it was available. It was already in my mind. It already seemed normal or yeah, just, just what's available. Yeah. What's available or what's, what's that? I I think (laughs) I've yet to have one of those moments, but I feel like I might feel cheated by myself if it happened that someone points out and I go, actually, that's really obvious. (laughs) (laughs) oh well it's okay to be obvious too I mean um you know I've I've done a lot of like self-compassion work over the years um and I mean I remember being like kind of um well I'm kind of given over towards the negative often anyways I don't know why I don't know the the you know like the brooding the glass is half empty I don't know if that's it seems to go um with the creative type a lot of times but um I don't know where I was going with that thought I'm sorry (laughs) I don't know where that was going I think that's an interesting point though like I think I think especially now modern art a lot of the complaints I hear from you know the the mass populace standard people doing their day living their lives not creating anything just kind of going about is that a lot of art seems to be negative 
you know it it points at the world and it says this is what's wrong with the world this is why i'm creating this work it's it's retaliation against something which is bad and which they've encountered whereas when they think of art they think of kind of renaissance and classical and all of that was quite positive it was very much we're creating these beautiful things i'm creating these sculptures and paintings and putting them on the wall and these landscapes and everything looks beautiful and now when they they see what we have versus what they have they think oh well that's what's wrong you know like you say artists tend to be a bit brooding and i think they don't realize that those pieces weren't created under the conditions which were creating and i think I, i think i saw a post the other day which was it was along the lines of someone asking why we don't produce kind of you know hand-painted ornate portraits anymore and we don't produce these murals which cover walls and they take years to complete and the comment to it was well it's because when they did create those they were employed by the people to make them they usually lived on their estate got paid got food got shelter and we don't pay artists to do that anymore because we devalued what art was within society did you send this to me or did the algorithm show me that? Because I know exactly what you're talking about. I saw it yeah. too. I may have posted so, on the story. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just, the, I feel like the environment for art has changed so much during the, you know, the last hundred years or so that the work now, which we do put out tends to be more negative because, you know, we we want to challenge we want to we want to engage with people and the easiest way to do that is through some sort of cynic- cynicism yeah i think that's what i was going to say is it's easy to be cynical um you know sometimes i feel bad that i'm so jaded but i think it's kind of natural as you get older and you just see you've seen stuff like you've mm. seen the headlines and you know how people can be and you know the things that go on in the world and what people do to each other in the environment and it kind of feels a little hopeless sometimes so I think it's appropriate to hate on that yeah to you know say whatever you want to say but I think it's also good for us to you know that count your blessings thing um I know I tend I tend toward the negative because there's so many things that I think are wrong and that shouldn't mm-hmm. happen and that we should speak out about and we need to fix that and um but they're not going away. People problems are they're not problems. going away because yeah. they're so they're, we're people and we're going to like um when each one is kind of going through their journey at their own pace, you can try and help other people along by, you know, sharing, but you can't um, expect everyone to, we all have, you know, different beliefs and expectations on other people. So I don't know. I, I get, I get really, um, in the weeds on my thoughts sometimes luckily it's been a while but I used to there was a period in my life when I was younger mm-hmm. um you know before you kind of develop some maybe some tools or some ways to recognize you're in a not a great space and kind of pull yourself out of it before you yeah. have those tools 
um, I've been in some dark head spaces, man. And I, that I wouldn't wish on anyone. Hmm. And it hasn't happened for a while because I can kind of now recognize when I'm going down a path, that's not going to go somewhere really good. <laughs> and I'll, yeah. um, course correct. Um, but even still, it's just, I don't know. I, I still even get, um, existential dread at night. Like, you know, I'll wake up from a dead sleep and kind of, um, sometimes I think it's caffeine, mm -hmm. which, you know, that's on me. We, we've all got but, um, <laughs> wake up in the middle of the night feeling just a dread, a, mm -hmm. um, I would like to go right back to being unaware of things. Thank you. You know, and um, usually it looks better in the morning. Yeah. So I don't know what it is about nighttime. And, um, but anyway, those kinds of things are a lot more disorienting when you're younger um, and you can get stuck there longer. And um, I have real empathy for any kind of mental struggle or, you know, being in a place where you feel like you can't get out because you're stuck with you. Mm. You can be, you know, imprisoned. If you're imprisoned in your own mind, man, that's, that's the worst, I think. Yeah, definitely. I, I saw um, a good, someone, someone worded it well the other day, which was, um, they were saying, being your worst critic is, is way worse than having someone outside of your house who's criticizing you. You know, we can all take feedback from audiences and we can all take feedback from random people who see our work. You know, more than once you get a comment on a piece of something, which is just like, oh, this is shit. And you're like, well, that doesn't help me in any way, shape or form. Um, but they were saying when you, you're your worst cri critic, and like you say, you know, you're in your worst and darkest place, that's 24-7. You can turn your phone off and you can ignore people, but when it's you, you're locked inside your room and you're going, well, you know, the only person in here hates me. So what can I do with that information? Getting out of that is a huge task, like you say. Um, I think it's interesting, though, that whenever you speak to artists and when you kind of connect with the creatives, it seems to me that most of us are the way we are because we developed these, these skills as our coping mechanisms to get out of those places when we were younger. And I always find it interesting when you meet people who haven't done this and haven't become creative of looking at their mental state and how they deal with something bad. And it usually ends up being something worse, like addiction or, you know, one, one way or, or one, one level or another of abusing themselves because they never found that edge, that ability to kind of communicate and exercise that a little bit. And I think that that becomes way more important for younger people now uh, maybe that's what i'm just trying to do yeah <laughs> yeah no i can tell you know what you're talking about <laughs> um there's so much overlap with art and psychology which makes me think a, a lot of us are in the wrong profession yeah i I really love um, to consider um, just people stuff, even though mm. I get cynical about people 
Um, I also remind myself that if I was, you know, the last person left on earth, I wouldn't really want, you know, what would be the point? <laughs> like I, I do need people. I think for a long, long time, I was kind of coping by telling myself that I didn't need people. Mm. I can do my art. I can do, you know, I can do my thing. And, um, if you don't know that you need people, I think, I think you kind of are going to suffer for it. At least that's, you know, my experience. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even then, I wouldn't say, like, I wouldn't look at your work and maybe let's say this is my personality and say that your work is cynical. I would say, I'd, I'd say kind of like me, you you find a level of quirk within it. You know, like you you know for a fact that when someone sees your, your dolls and you see, you know, especially a doll with teeth as the example, that they're going to either laugh, connect, or be afraid. <laughs> so you, you know, you look at it and you go, okay, cool, I've made this. It may have come from a dark place and it may have come from something which, you know, was trying to get out of my head or whatever. But you know, there's that, that quirky edge to it. And in the same way of like when I create my illustrations, which can be quite depressing at times, I'm always looking at it from a point of view of if someone sees this and they don't know the context to this, this might just be funny to them. And that might help. Yeah. Just because it's ridiculous at times as well. Which is always important to inject into life. A little bit of ridiculousness. Yeah. I just quoted that to my dad the other day. He sent me <laughs> something. And uh, the first thing that popped in my head was Gene Wilder singing a little nonsense now and then is relished by the wisest men. <laughs> so I just said it. And I don't even think he knew what I was referencing, but that's okay. <laughs> it's, I, I think... I don't know. There is always trying to find a balance with that. So you don't end up, like you say, you know, if, if if we were creating all the time and there was no audience to it, you can end up in a worse position than you started in because you just, you, you're kind of adding to that by surrounding yourself with it. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of art that over the years that I would Um, It makes me feel kind of sorry for the artist if I know specifically sometimes it will, you know, there will be like that information with it. Like this Mm. person was in an asylum or um, this person was really suffering and I feel sad that Mm. there's, you know, thinking of someone um, suffering like that but then I see the work and I'm just like, I love the work and I'm so grateful to see it. And so did they make that amazing work because they were suffering or did they make it in spite of their suffering? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I don't, I used to kind of believe the trope about, well, you have to be kind of, um, well, maybe you do have to be a little crazy, but you have to be, you have to be suffering to make the good art, right? Yeah. When you're younger, I think you, oh, it's so cool. Like that, I think you buy into when you're younger <laughs> and then you get a little older and you're like, well, I would like to have some mental health mm. and still make art and explore. Um, but I 
don't know. You got to have the experiences too. It's this kind of like, as a parent, it's really tough. Um, you want to, you want your kids to be healthy and well and, and well-adjusted and mm. tough enough to handle life and stuff. Um, the only way to get there a lot of times is to suffer mm. through some things and um, absolutely hate that thought as, as a parent. But Definitely. then for yourself, you can think back and you can think the darkest times, the worst times um you never would have chosen I don't think (laughs) I wouldn't have chosen but what you get from them is some um ah what's the buzzword resilience Mm. you know the this is a topic of conversation and you know the parent circles how do I how do I help my kid be resilient yeah how do I expose them to enough without traumatizing them I don't, I don't think I can do it. Like Mm -hmm. I'm a generally anxious person. Legitimately, I catch myself having that weird feeling in my stomach oft. In fact, see if this, you know, see if this resonates with you at all. Okay. It's been lifelong. So I remember back when I was a kid having the weird feeling in my stomach and I learned to ask myself, okay, I'm feeling this feeling. What's bothering me? Is it something at school? And I'd go through my head, you know, no. Is it something with my parents? No. And I'd go, you know, and I'd try and put my finger on it. And I couldn't, I'm telling you most of the times I couldn't put my finger on why I felt anxious. Hmm. And I don't like that. I certainly wouldn't wish it on anybody, but if that's what you're working with, you just got to learn how to work with it, I guess. And then maybe you can parlay it into something good eventually, but. um... That's interesting. I actually was thinking about this literally this morning, not the anxiousness. Um, I I went the opposite way as a child. Um, I was extremely anxious as as a child, hated being around anyone and everything. And instead of figuring out solutions for it, I decided I could just turn it off. And so now I, as an adult, obviously recognize this, but when I'm in a situation where I feel nothing and I've completely disassociated, I know I'm anxious. I know something's going on, which I'm not comfortable with. So my brain's gone, that's fine. We can deal with that. We'll just turn it off. And and I, so I went completely the other way. But past that point, um, not to just ignore my feelings. Um, but um, I was thinking this morning of the I don't even know what triggered it, but there was there was a thought to myself around the idea of kind of packs and how society works, and that society preys on your weaknesses, and people who are competitive tend to prey on the weakness of whoever they're competing with. That's how they proceed. That's generally how sociopaths proceed as well but people do that and the trick is if you can figure it out very young is to find your own weakness and to prey on your own weakness like you say of if you know that you're an anxious person and if you know that you're you struggle with something whatever that thing is if you can isolate it 
and utilize it to something beneficial for yourself, whether that's pouring in something, you know, like art or, you know, whatever you, you study and you can utilize that, you find balance much, much quicker. Like it might not lead to full success, but it would save you more time, you know, struggling and, and dealing with things. Like if I could have figured that out, you know, 15, there wouldn't have been 10 years of trying to figure that out. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it feels really valuable when it's hard won. I, I thought that I would be particularly, um, prepared as like a, um, someone who values the, you know, this interpersonal conversation and mm -hmm. speaking your mind and keeping it real stuff that we did. I didn't grow up with. It wasn't modeled for me because my parents didn't have it to give, like it was mm -hmm. not modeled for them. Um, and so I, I, at first I thought, well, I'm going to be on top of it. I'm going to be the parent that we can talk about anything. We're going to talk about everything. There's nothing taboo. There's nothing off the table. This will be great. We'll just, we'll express ourselves and we'll get all our feelings out. No one's going to sit and, and have, you know, this, uh, shame, this stewing toxicity. We're going to be free and we're going to be healthy, which is great, mm -hmm. but it's not that straightforward. So I feel like we are doing that in our house but you just can't um you're not immune to, no one's immune for being human so I I think at first I was thinking I'm gonna get all the tools I'm gonna you know we're gonna avoid the pitfalls no you're not no you're not we always think we know better though that's that's life, and, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. Like, like kind of coming to terms with like, okay, there really is a sense in which like there, these things are unavoidable. So the work isn't to avoid them. It's to notice, deal in healthy ways, you know, non-self-destructive ways. Um, I think being afraid of everything all the time and highly anxious <laughs> has been good in some ways. Like I've never, um, I've never been tempted by substances uh, mm. like some people have because like, I'm scared to take too many Tylenol, you know? Right. Um, and what will it do? And then will I feel like my, I hate not feeling like myself. Right. So when, um, when I did, I did take, um, for a, for a little time when I first started having like major anxious, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm going to jump out of my skin. What's happening to me. And you go to the doctor and they're like, here's a, um, Xanax, right. You know, to help you when you're in crisis mode, just try and manage until you can get to a better spot. Um, I did have really good dreams when I was taking that. My dreams were always really good, like every night, just really fun and nice and happy. But, um, <clears throat> oh my gosh, I forgot where I was going with this. No, <laughs> where are we going with that?
Um, You're saying because of your anxiety, you didn't end up in substance abuse. Oh, so I remember like wanting help. Right. But like feeling like I was too scared to receive. What if I, uh, I don't feel like myself because mm. I hate not feeling fully present and fully in control of my movements. So even like alcohol, um, I can have one glass of wine and I can feel the effects on my body. And then that's all because mm. if I, if I'm not in control, that is very triggering for you know anxiety wise so the irony is i'm probably the kind of person that should have a couple of glasses of wine or you know maybe try some marijuana or do whatever like that would probably really benefit me but i can't because it's too scary and i'm not going to be in control of you know i guess part of the trick of there is as well like obviously there's a struggle to not project that onto other people and and kind of children obviously like you mentioned is it becomes less about helping people avoid situations where they could get hurt and just giving them the tools to be able to deal with those situations like we say and like with your personality and the way you kind of go through the world you wouldn't go out and get wasted but you might have a child who wants to go do that and making them afraid of that is wrong whereas warning them about it and then letting them go make their own mistakes and saying well this is how you deal with it when that happens becomes much more valuable and that's why you end up with people who can't deal with society because their parents have just gone this is how the world works and this is exactly how you should be within that world i always have a i always had a thought of if i ever do have children if i'll make the mistake of kind of like you going thinking to myself we're going to be fine i've got this you know i'm not going to make the mistakes of my parents and then i'm going to end up with like an accountant's child who wants nothing more to to be like CEO of some financial institution <laughs> and doesn't do any art. And I'm I'm gonna sit there and go, God damn, what, what, how did I raise that? <laughs> like how did that come from me? <laughs> and it's, you know, because a good amount of it is hardwiring anyways, it's mm. um it's a crapshoot. I I get genuine comfort from you know, sometimes you come across this trite little sayings that um, kind of make you roll your eyes, like the the poster, the, the inspirational poster, and you kind of are like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But because I can get so twisted up in my own head, in my own self, I sometimes will be like, you know what, here's what I'm going to believe for right now. I'm going to believe that it will all turn out okay in the end. My kids will turn out okay. And that just kind of helps me like shut down a little bit and just kind of like you show people you care about them and you be there for them. Mm -hmm. And then they get to go and be in shoes and do. And even if you could somehow control them, it's not good. No. It's much more important to trust them. Yeah, that's only bad guys want to control other people. Never trust anyone. I never trust anyone whose main interest is putting themselves above anyone else. If that's the goal, then I'm instantly distrustful. Yeah. Hostile. (laughs) But that's, that's my trauma. Just 
it's no. turning hostile in those situations. <laughs> yeah, same because um, I've never, I know some people have like leadership giftings and um, they want to lead and they can lead and, you know, teachers, politicians, whoever, there's, there's good examples from all the different um, professions. <clears throat> I've never wanted to be a leader. I've never wanted to be in charge. I don't know what I thought parenting was going to be. I guess when you, I think what happens is you think, baby, I want to have a baby. Babies are cute. And you're not really, you don't know, thank the heavens, you don't know what's coming. Hmm. So you have a baby and the baby's adorable. And, and you just, you know, that's all there is, is a baby. And then, you know, they start showing, um, like when you I think it's like around three or four I'm sure it depends on the kid but around age three or four my son so I always wanted to have a son growing up I can't tell you why it was always in my head I just always wanted to have a son she she never wanted girls always wanted boys and I have a son and a daughter I love them both with my whole heart you know Mm -hmm. I just but for whatever reason I got it in my head like I want a son so I you know I get pregnant I have a son and this is my dream come true so beautiful so stinking cute objectively one of the cutest babies you've ever seen in your life um and and a pretty like happy healthy baby and then around like age three or four their hardwiring like their personality starts to show through Mm. and I was upset right because what i saw was me Ah. i saw this kid obviously is his own person an individual and he and i get that Mm -hmm. but like the hard wiring there's a lot that i'm seeing that i'm all i could think is oh god i know what's coming down the road for you i know the kind of struggles i know what you're gonna face And it felt like all the work that I had done, like finally getting to like a healthy place. I'm an adult. I've dealt with all this stuff. I've gotten these tools. I feel really healthy. Like I kind of, I guess I felt like I arrived somewhere. Right. Like this is great. I I did it, you know? And then I'm seeing this kid and I was like, the that was just the warm-up now i gotta relive it in the parent watching it unfold and i was just like i don't know if i can do this for whatever reason isn't it wild like for whatever reason so my daughter is not like there's actual opposites but i would kind of describe her as an opposite her hard wiring is happy-go-lucky up for whatever generally um uh, just kind and and the energy is you know like extroverted Mm. energy yeah and um i'm like i'm kind of jealous of that because that was always my weak points and Mm. always the kind of people that i wished i could be more like when i was growing up um, the life of the party, the one everybody likes. I, but I just couldn't. That's not yeah. who I was. So I'm happy for her. Yeah. But I'm sure those personalities, those people have their own struggles. Like, 
I don't know what they are, but I'm sure they do. <laughs> but, um, Grass is all, always greener. It's, 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 I know. Yeah. But I'm telling you, it's just, it sounds like I'm saying, I, it sounds like I'm saying something bad about my son and I'm not. I'm no. really not. What I'm saying is like, I wouldn't wish your this, life on him. Yeah. These struggles on my kid. I never would have chosen that. And, I mean, that's, that's, and that's what he got. The hard that, grind. That's what he got. That's partly what would prevent me from like trying for a child is because I know what I was like as a child. And I, I look at it from that point of view. I think of it like I, I don't have the baby moment. I don't go. Oh, it'd be great. I'll have a baby. It'll be, you know, cute. Or I'll have like a, an older child and it'll be great and we'll connect and all that kind of stuff. My brain, my brain literally goes, yeah, we weren't great as a, as a child. Um, let's not do that again. Let's not push that another me into the world. doesn't matter what I do now. My, my brain just like, no, no, we're not going to go do that. And I, I think it's interesting as well, kind of mentioning your daughter. I was having a discussion with a friend the other day of kind of first bonds, second bonds, third bond sort of thing. And we were saying that when you're the second child, you have a slight advantage to life because you look at your older sibling and you watch all the mistakes they make. And then you go, oh, cool. So I just don't do that then. And I'll, you know, I move on through that. So you always seem slightly more balanced than whoever was the first, because like you say, the first just has to deal with the parents. Whereas you, you suddenly have an example who's the same genome as you and you can go, ah, so that's how we react in this situation. Well, that's a bad way to react. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. <clears throat> Unless there's three mm. and then the babies apparently can do whatever they want and get away with whatever they They're want. They're the wild card. They, you don't know what's going to happen with the third. Be absolutely wild. <laughs> um, because I'm a twin, a fraternal right. twin, not identical. Okay. Um but I was second born and mm. you would, if you, if you saw us together and heard us give a little snippet, you would totally guess that Wendy was first born right. because just kind of um, like, she's a teacher, she's a accomplisher of things. She's got her PhD, um, just the boss, I guess. Right. And, um, and then we have a younger brother. And so technically i'm not a middle child but i really am and i always yeah like i always had that role um growing up which was unfortunate but i guess whatever <laughs> i i learned from it and and you found coping mechanisms in the yeah. form of art i mean do you do, you, do your siblings like your art to bring it back um, around to art just as we, we come to the end I don't think I don't think my sister likes weird stuff. Their house is pretty like um plain. Mm-hmm. Like plain color walls and like really minimal stuff. And my house is like how much stuff can I stick on the walls? Like I don't know how to decorate, but I can put a nail in the wall and then hang all of my art that I'm collecting yeah. um you know. <laughs> oh well, this wall's this wall's way more dynamic than the other. One. Yeah, because yeah. this one is is wooden, and so I don't feel bad yeah. about putting holes in it and moving them around. This one is like plaster, and so I'm trying I'm trying to not put a bunch of holes in the wall. Yeah. Um, but the stuff still gets moved around a lot. Um, but there there isn't a lot of space in this house. It's a 1950s ranch style house, so there's not a lot of wall space, which is unfortunate for me because I have a ton of art downstairs that mm. I 
don't know how to display yet but um so I think she's probably like hey it's cool you you do whatever she probably likes some of them I don't really talk to my brother um (laughs) so family members like that you know yeah like um he's he's pretty like conservative minded as far as I know and so I don't think anything um weird or unsettling would land (laughs) with much appreciation so um that's interesting definitely like you say though you know same you know same pool same family it's just you end up with different reflections on how to deal with things and you end up with different kind of paths of of what you do and don't enjoy i think i mean me and my brother we me and my brother are very similar kind of i mean i we i do a podcast with him at the start of every year um and we have very similar voices and more than once people have just been like this is just your voice twice <laughs> so i watched that i watched one of them and yeah. Yeah, yeah so we just the one brother yeah so it's just me and him and we're, we're very similar we we have very similar music tastes very similar film media all that kind of thing but when it comes to arts there is a distinct difference there's a distinct difference in the things which we enjoy and the things which we appreciate because we we got different tools at different times and yeah we we like some of the same stuff, but most of it's yeah a bit a bit on the edge. I, I tend to lean more abstract, whereas he tends to go more figurative, and, you know, media based. Yeah, you can't control it. Yeah, <laughs> we'd be fools to try. <laughs> yeah. Um, man, I could talk art, psychology. I could talk about anything all day. It's we nice. Could. It's nice to talk. <laughs> it's nice to chat. Well, it's been lovely having you, though. We're going to round this out, I think. Yeah, um, yeah to learn more about your kind of work and the things which are going on. I do have one final question for you. Though. Yeah. Who should I talk to next? Ooh. This is the, the question I'm posing to everybody at the end of the podcast now. Is who do I talk to next? Because obviously I have people I want to find, but there's people you know or appreciate. and Oh, man. I think, hmm. Well, so I feel like I have a lot of art friends on Instagram because we've been following each other for a long time. We've messaged a fair amount, Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I haven't talked, like actually spoken to these people like in real life. (laughs) So um, maybe this is the chance I can do it on your behalf and go out and find them. Yeah, I know. Um, Well, I did do. I don't think he shows his face though. I did do a chat one time with um the Black Moth Society. Okay. And and that was fun and we talked, I think we talked like movies and art stuff and um but I don't think he shows his face. <laughs> I mean that could that could be an interesting <laughs> interesting episode. Um I yeah, I can happily try and contact them. Yeah, but very personable, very, very you could talk about anything. Yeah. As well. So um, Jason. 
Yeah, I didn't even get to ask you about your favorite artist. Man, I was just blabbing. <laughs> I was going to ask about favorite artists and stuff like that. But I mean, I can squeeze that, squeeze in a couple of examples. Uh, two of my favorite artists, uh, Francis Bacon is probably my favorite painter of all time. Um, and for uh, related to the stuff you create, actually, reminding me of the, uh, the, the, the Quay Brothers who make who made stop motion films like back in the day they're like art housey stop motion things and they have very similar figurines and dolls to this type of stuff you make which is more tactile and, and you know odd as it would be described um but those are two of my favorite cool we, so we you know the you. stop motion of ja- jan svankmeyer that rings oh, yeah. a bell i'll have to send you a, a link because i love it. it's it's weird fantastic stop motion, stop motion. yeah I, 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 something I'm, I'm aiming to explore more is stop motion um but yeah definitely but uh, we can round this out there i think thank you for yeah. coming on Kristen. it's been lovely to have you i have well, you back. thank you you can come along again fun. we'll discuss something else <laughs> yeah well on that note uh we will talk to these folks later all right <laughs>